All right, guys, welcome to this episode. This is Jim Huntsman, the host of the Western Huntsman podcast. And I figured what I'd do before I put this episode out is uh, is record a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, I don't endorse political candidates, not on this show and really not anywhere. Second, if you are or know someone running for public office, whether it's uh, state, local, federal, whatever, they're more than welcome to come on my show and have a long, free-form conversation like the one Ammon and I had. That is just something I'm, I'm willing to do. So uh, I, I think this stuff is important, and it's good for. I think this is a good way for people to get to know candidates. So during these political seasons, that window is open, and you are free to email me at jim at thewesternhuntsman.com, and I will set that up. Lastly, in this particular episode, I'm in kind of a catch-22 situation. Many of you know uh, where I stand on public lands, and the management that uh, we currently have is one that I am a huge fan of. So the catch-22 kind of comes as this. Folks that are staunch, faithful followers of Ammon Bundy and his candidacy for Idaho governor are probably going to be upset with me for challenging Ammon on some of these topics. Folks that are advocates for our current public land management system, like I am, might be mad at me for not challenging Ammon hard enough. The point with this conversation was not to create contention or argue or, you know, have some serious knockdown debate over public land management. It was really to have a robust conversation about his side of it and my side of it and kind of see where, you know, the conversation could take us. Again, the point is to provide a free form, long conversation so people can get to know candidates. Uh, and Ammon is no exception to this. There were times I was called out for being wrong. Uh, and I held my tongue where I knew I wasn't wrong in a particular, oh, well, a couple of them. And and that is for a reason. I want this. Uh, I want these conversations to be respectful. And so I held my tongue. And honestly, I imagine Ammon did the same thing. He was respectful and I was respectful. We had a great conversation. Honestly, I didn't know much about uh, Ammon Bundy until I had him on the show. Um, and he's somebody I'd probably get back on again. I, I felt like we uh, we both, where, where we totally disagree on, on uh, the... Public land management systems, whether they're in place or, or something that uh, somebody may be looking to change, we totally disagree on it. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's the point of having these conversations. And I felt like it was, uh, even with those dis- disagreements, very respectful, and uh, I appreciate it. So, again, anybody else have anybody else that wants to come on and, and talk about their candidacy, uh, they're more than welcome. So, with that, guys, let's get to it with Ammon Bundy, candidate for Idaho governor. <laughs> There exists a threat, from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive, and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. All 
right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Time Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Sunny September, Clark Fork, Idaho, that is. Um, awful warm this time of year. The elk are not talking yet, but I have a feeling that's going to change. So a heck of an episode for you guys this week. Um, I have Governor gubernatorial candidate Ammon Bundy on the show. And uh, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about his background, some of his, his uh, philosophy, what, what he's running on. And uh, we're going to just have a great conversation. Ammon, appreciate you being here, my friend. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Uh, where Ammon, where are you at right now? You're you're you live in uh, southern Idaho. I, I, I don't even know where you live. I live in Emmett, Idaho, um, about 45 minutes north of Boise, not too far from the Oregon border. Oh, okay. I'm on my front porch. Sitting on the front porch. Is it hot yep. down there? You know, there's a there's a little breeze and it's making it cool. They're not, you know, it's making it pretty nice outside. Actually, it's really nice. Yeah, that well, that's good. I, it's it's been unusually hot up here. I've been out chasing elk for the last week or so, and like they're they're not talking, they're not moving. They're I mean, I've even sat over water, all sorts of stuff, and it's just man, nothing's really happening yet. So I'm hoping this weather changes soon. Uh, um, it will. I can I can feel it. It's changing. You can feel it at night, right? That's where I'm oh, feeling yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's, it's changing. Yeah. So, Ammon, I you have uh, you have a background that I think that a lot of listeners are are going to be fairly familiar with. Uh, you've been in the news. You've been um, you've got a big social media presence. Uh, you've made some waves for sure. Um, can you give us give us like your uh, the bird's eye view of your background, how you grew up, and and kind of bring us up to date? Does that make sense? Uh, sure. If I don't give you what you want, then just let me know and I'll keep emphasizing or keep giving the details. I okay. I grew up I I'm 47. I just turned 47 uh, on September 1st. And I grew up in southern Nevada on a ranch there. It's uh just south of Mesquite, Nevada and um northeast of Lake Mead. Okay. Uh, and, and so my family went into that area and began running cattle and farming in that area uh, in 1877. So Nevada was only a state for, been an only state for uh, 11 years, I think, 11, 12 years, anyway, mm-hmm. 13 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, my that's what my family's been doing. I, I grew up in the same home that my father grew up in, uh, which my grandfather grew up in, a little 1,200 square foot home. No AC. Uh, they finally put AC in it just a couple of years ago. So uh, I have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. Uh, and grew up, that's the way I grew up. I'm doing a lot of work on the ranch. Uh, spent a ton of time out, you know, in the hills. Uh, did a lot of, you know, hunting and a lot of just spending a ton of time outside. So, uh, you you grew up down just south of Mesquite, Nevada. Did, did I hear that right? Correct, Mesquite, Nevada. Um, I grew grew up on a ranch south of there, uh-huh. um, and uh, I did go to public school. Spent a lot of time on the school bus every day, but uh, in, you know, in the summers and and uh, 
we spent all our time out on the range and uh, just did a lot of work there on the farm and and uh, spent a lot of time, you know, hunting and spending a uh, you know a lot of a lot of time outside and just that's the way my that's the way I grew up kind of a typical uh, western upbringing rural western upbringing really um yeah that's that's interesting uh because i had uh my family had some property if you're familiar with mesquite nevada uh we if you cross over onto the arizona side it, what is that little town called beaver dam I, there's I think, a beaver dam yep beaver yeah dam and next to little field yep yep that whole area so we we'd go down there when i was kids and and quail hunt and we'd uh I actually shot a wild boar on the Virgin River right outside of Mesquite, Nevada, years ago. So <laughs> yeah, there used to be there was a, a exotic like wildlife uh, area there, kind of like a zoo almost. And a flood came through there and wiped out the lower fields and lower uh, fences. Oh wow! And these these boars they were domesticated, but they were like uh, very from a different country, and they got out on that river and they started multiplying and at one time we had a ton of wild boars out there and that's probably what you were hunting yeah, uh, yeah. Was, and you know they ended up you know hunting them all down and it took you know 20 30 years and they hunted them all down we we did that you know at least my brother did that. i didn't get into it much but uh so we actually they actually um people would ask us to guide them uh on these boar hunts my two older brothers would would guide um, and they, they get through the, into that brush and, and they shoot them with, you know, uh, 45 pistols or you mm -hmm. know, big pis pistols and cause it was yeah. so thick, the brush. Yeah. It's super <laughs> thick. I, <laughs> I lucked out. I, I actually ended up shooting mine. Uh, and this is back in 1999. Uh, I, I shot mine with a replica, uh, Springfield 42 musket, smooth bore musket from the, it's a civil <laughs> war replica musket. <laughs> I've even got That's the bayonet cool. for it still. <laughs> That's cool. That's and really so I cool. uh, had him mounted. Uh, it was a big old boar. He, I, I had him mounted and I, I call him Hillary. So my wife hates it though. <laughs> <laughs> she's, a, she's always trying to knock it off the wall with the vacuum. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So why run for governor, man? Um, it, that's got to be because I, I think about that and and I, I like I think about it from a sense of. I have no interest in that uh, because of the, the, I mean, you just take kind of a, a, a beating uh, and, and the politics involved in it, obviously, because it is politics. What kind of brought you to this point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to run for uh, governor of Idaho. And what, if, if you win, what are like the three main objectives you're trying to achieve as governor? Yeah, well, so I really haven't had any desire at all to be, political in the sense of running for office um but my family got thrown into the political limelight if you will over what happened in 2014 mm -hmm. and uh it just just pushed us into you know continually responding continually being engaged continually having to defend ourselves and so this like uh this uh i don't know this increase in like kind of uh scrutiny and even even hatred and so forth that you see in politics i've been dealing with that for almost a decade now so yeah it's it's not like this campaign has changed that in fact in some ways it's actually become even easier because i'm actually running for office 
but it never was my desire. I see, I see Idaho changing into something that I don't want it to change into. Uh, I see a need to, uh, to preserve our conservative identity here. And I also see an opportunity where people are recognizing that if we don't act now, we're going to end up like an Oregon or, or Washington. Um, or the list goes on and on, California, Nevada, where I came from, New Mexico, Colorado recently. We're going to end up like that. And uh, I had a name and uh, the time and the resources to to run. And it has been crazy because we've been going at this for a year and a half now. Uh, but uh, we're, we've made a, you know, real good waves. And uh, we believe we have a, a really strong chance of, of winning here in Idaho. What do you feel like, because uh, there's there's some things I agree with what you said there. Uh, it, w- when we're talking about like the, the state is changing, Idaho is, there's some, there's some, changes that are that are happening that that uh can be you know disturbing to think about you know it's not like what's going to happen tomorrow it's what's what's it going to be like in 10 years you know what i mean what do you what do you see as a way as a governor you can make an impact on that uh like what what's the plan on that side of it because it's I, I'm with you on that part. I, I don't want to be Oregon and I don't want to be Cal- California, especially when we're talking in, along the lines of like hunting rights, uh, anti-hunting legislative actions, um, commissions taken over by legislators, y- you know, things like that. I, mm-hmm. That's what I don't want to have happen uh, here in Idaho. What do you feel like yeah. you, you can do impact wise uh, on that front? Well, so uh yeah, I appreciate that. And I'll try to kind of direct it to, you know, your uh, interest in, in hunting and, and outdoors. Um, and, and so we have right now, and we've been under attack for a long time, the, the entire issues that my family had in Nevada when it comes to um, them, the federal government trying to destroy my father's ranch. It was all an extreme environmentalist movement. Um, where they're trying to take this, you know, the, the land and, uh, keep people from using it. Uh, they're trying to protect the wildlife, uh, the species, as they would put it, and make it so that man can't, you know, harvest it and use it and benefit from it and enjoy it. Um, they, and I, and I'm, I'm giving you this, you know, outlook or at least i'm saying these things to try to you know go really to all the way to the bottom the foundation of what is happening and why it's so dangerous because they they this uh extreme environmentalists these extreme environmentalists there it's a theology to them it's a religion to them and they they believe that Man is an invasive species, that he's just another equal species among all the other species, and that it is their duty to stop us from, you know, uh, harming or, or hurting or being adversarial to the other species. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and that is a real thing. And so they go out and try to stop us from using the land and the resources. Uh, uh, and it becomes a real big problem, especially when they get into government. And, uh, so I say that 
because it's contrary to the Judeo-Christian belief, which is um, that God created the earth. He placed man and woman on the earth and he gave us dominion over the earth, told us to use it and to benefit from it. And we're supposed to be uh, responsible with it, but it is ours here to use, to benefit from, and to enjoy. Uh, Well, their theology is completely different from that. And our culture has been built upon the Judeo-Christian belief that the earth is for mankind to use, take care of, and benefit from. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we go hunt and we harvest the animals, uh, when we go elk hunting, we're not only benefiting the elk and managing the herds and all of that, but we're using them according to what I believe is God's intent. But they don't believe that. They believe that we're just another species equal to all the other species and that we become an intellectually advanced. And therefore, it is their job to balance the species. And that's a real common term that they use, balance the species. And how do they do that? Well, they have to create a disadvantage for mankind, stop them from using the land, using the earth, harvesting the animals, uh, and what they would say put the nature of ba- balance of nature back, back or nature back in its uh, in its balance. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we don't understand like how much it really means to them that this is a religion, we're already behind the eight the ball eight ball here, thinking that. Oh, this is just a political thing that we can win by getting good legislation or something. Yeah, it, it, that kind of stuff alarms me because it, it's the there's like this dichotomy with it. When you're talking about, uh, and I call them hostile vegans, and I call them, um, you know, these anti-hunting folks that are just real vitriolic about their belief in allowing nature to balance itself. What what they don't realize is in no time in human history has has nature really balanced itself when it has been left unchecked by man that is when things actually get out of balance and so we have created this system culturally in the united states of america where hunting is is ingrained in our culture especially in idaho uh you know the the statistic in idaho is somewhere like 36 percent of the population hunts and fishes or bought a hunting and fishing license that's a staggering number when you compare that to the national average of less than 5% of the population. So in Idaho, this is even mm. compounded more. And, yes. and what, what has happened because of that, it is the, the result has been that it is hunters that have balanced the wildlife to the point in which they're thriving now. It is hunters that have, that have brought back species from the brink of extinction. It is not PETA that has achieved this. And I've said this on the show multiple times. Uh, so, so listeners, bear with me, but it's, I, I think this is an important point. It is not the humane society of the United States and these activists and these, these hostile vegans that, that try to get involved uh, and PETA that make any real uh, tangible change to our wildlife. And, and these species thrive in spite of them, not because of them. Would you agree with that? I absolutely 100% agree. If let me. If I can, I'll give you an example of this um, in the ranching, uh, you know, uh, industry, if you will. I don't know if that's the best word to use. But so before um, Wild Horse Annie got involved, the horses 
in the states in the western united states the the wild horses because they the the horses were brought over here by man you know they, they they're not naturally were here sure but anyhow the way that they were managed and it's exactly what you're saying the same thing uh happened with the wild horses well the ranchers used to uh manage and cull the wild horses so you know they were running cattle on a certain area and they also had a small horse um herd and they made sure that that the the horse herd you know had new blood in it they made sure it didn't get too big uh, and they used those horses for ranching purposes and 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 they would sell and trade and do all that and these horses were some of the best bloodlines that you could get in the in the western united states because the ranchers maintained them that way Mm -hmm. uh well then the federal government came in under the wild horse annie and the wild horse act they came in and they made it illegal to manage and to harvest and to cull the the wild horses so what happened they're they're running amok they're they're destroying many parts of the west that's right. And they're inbred and they get tons of diseases and they get so populated that they start, they actually, they'll start to kill themselves and they destroy massive amounts of, of land in the Western United States because their hooves are not split hooves and the way they eat, they actually pull the roots out of the ground. And, and it's become a complete disaster because the federal government took man out of the equation. And it's exactly what you're saying. The same exact thing has happened with the wildlife. Uh, well, it hasn't happened, but it will happen if they let it happen. If if they take man out of the equation, that's what will happen with wildlife. Well, in one way, I, I, I think we could agree on this issue uh, because like there, one way you could really relate that to like modern day and or, or, or things that are close to home to us. In the in the northern Rocky tri-state region, you know, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, uh, we've got this grizzly bear population that is unmanaged and unchecked. And right. and when I guess one way to, to look at that, and I guess where I'm going with that is, you know, I, 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 I people sometimes misinterpret what I mean by that. I don't hate grizzly bears, and I think that grizzly bears belong on the landscape. What I what I hate is an unchecked management system on on any kind of apex uh, predator. So when you look at statistically speaking, like the state of Alaska, where they can manage grizzly bears through hunting, has a much smaller per capita uh, human interaction or encounter or attack, however you want to describe it, uh, versus the um, northern Rocky Mountain tri-state region. Like per capita, we have more bear attacks from grizzly bears here in the tri-state state region and that is because these bears have no management and so what happens right. is is these bears end up getting killed by the, the the fish and game agencies because they wander into town in fact there's a news story yesterday uh here in idaho there's there there was a bear wandering right outside the town of bonners ferry idaho which is about an hour north of me um and you know what's going to happen to that bear he's going to get into trouble and he's going to get killed Versus if we had a, a, a small percentage of hunting tags available in the state of Idaho, uh, where, where we don't allow these, these federal judges to get involved and, and, you know, knock that down, allow us to, to manage the wildlife, right? Um, 
those bears would get this sense that uh, there is reason to fear humans like they do in Alaska. And it's also the same thing. Like if you look at New Jersey, black bear attacks where there's not a lot of hunting privilege up there for, for uh, hunting bears versus here, we have a very similar uh, per capita population of black bears between Idaho and, and New Jersey. Yet there's a lot more attacks in New Jersey because they don't have any fear of humans and there's a lot more interaction. So uh, I kind of I, I kind of took us down a tangent there. Let, <laughs> let me let me uh, let me back us up here, because uh, I think there's you know, we can we can spend the whole podcast talking just about wildlife management. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd like to get your, you know, outside of that kind of stuff. Uh, what's your vision for Idaho? Do you have like a like a, a basic phil- philosophical vision for the state of Idaho and and how that would relate to you know the the common the basic Idahoan that's out there every day working to 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 get a paycheck. Um, what do you see as problematic, and what would you hope to solve? Well, I I see um, several things that are problematic. Uh, one is I think we definitely need to uh, eliminate our current property tax system and uh, protect private property. Uh, to make sure that uh, our homes and our lands and those things uh, that are private are protected. And I'm proposing we get rid of our current property tax system, which allows the state to, you know, lean and and, uh, control through a tax system. And we replace it with a consumption tax based upon the point of sale, uh, much like we purchase everything else. So that's a concern. So, um, so uh, on on that note, Eamon, what do you mean? Like when? So the only tax you would pay would be like uh, when you buy the property, kind of thing, instead of like an annual property tax. Correct. So okay. you just like, I mean, just like everything else we buy, we don't pay taxes forever on on our cars or on our, you know, uh, on our computers or on our other equipment. We don't pay taxes forever on it. We pay a tax up front, a consumption tax up front, and then it's ours. Now, people might say, well, well, does that mean that the state is going to lose money? And it doesn't because the average home sells three to five times. Av- average property sells three to five times in a 30-year period. And so mm-hmm. if you set that consumption tax at, let's say, eight, uh, 5%, then that more than compensates uh, what the state, what the local governments are getting uh, in property tax. But the difference is, is you don't have to keep paying taxes every year and the state can't lien your property. Is there, are there any other states that do it that way? There are states that do it that way and, and do the, uh, our current property tax system as well, but none that do just consumption. I I think um, that makes it, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying that that, that makes sense. What I said. Yeah, so, no, that that makes sense. I, I, I think the only I, I'm always trying to play dev, devil's advocate a little bit here and there. Um, what, yeah, what I like would, that. What would pop into my mind when you when you describe it? Because I've never heard it described like that. But you know, you're talking to a dude that doesn't get super involved in the uh, you know the deep dark spaces of politics uh, very often. Um, I, what what pops into my head is the the current home prices in in Idaho due to the recent influx of you know just major uh, new residents we've been seeing over the last year a few years 
wouldn't that add to the the purchase price substantially when somebody's looking to like make an offer on a home or something? Yeah, they already increase, you know, property tax according to the value of the home anyway. So yeah. you either pay yeah, it, we all saw either that. pay it at the time. Yeah, you either pay it at the time of purchase or you're gonna pay it, you know, within the next few years after that. Um so I mean the answer is yes, it does, but you you're gonna pay that anyway. And the one thing about the way that it's structured now is you keep paying that for decades. And uh, unless there's some way to force it to push it down and get them to assess it lower, um, then you keep paying that. And, you know, I, I don't like to purchase something and then have to pay and then, and pay it, pay it, you know, pay the bank pay or whatever, again, yeah. purchase it, play and clear. And then I just have to keep paying every year, every year. Uh, it, it is not a very good system. And what we're seeing is, is, we're mostly seeing the elderly that's really affected and they're being driven out of their homes after, you know, 30, 40, 50 years being in their homes, they can't afford their own homes Yeah, and they're losing it. They're losing it to the state or they're having to sell it when they don't want to sell it. No, that that's uh that's happened. That, that is all too common. And there is a sense, uh, again, I've never thought of this, uh, on, on, you know, this deeply before, but there is a sense that like, for for what my wife and I did, we sold our last house and took the equity and bought bare land, right? And so we own it right. outright. We paid the lion's share of this, but there is this sense where I feel like we don't fully own it because if we don't pay the taxes, they can take it from us, even though we've already paid taxes on it the first year. And so that's yeah, not, yeah, exactly. It's not know, just a sense. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is a reality. And, but, but the, what the sense was, like I can say, yeah, I own this land outright, but then there's like this clause uh, that is like, you know, a kicker there that is like, well, as long as I pay the taxes, I own it outright. Right. And, that, that, and then <laughs> right. that resets itself every year. So, OK, no, well, I, that's cool. See that- can, as long as you can afford to pay the taxes, too. And the problem is, is once you get on a fixed income, retired or whatever, and you can't afford it anymore, then. You have to give up your home that you don't want to give up, but you just simply can't afford it because the property tax has increased and it's too much for you to to uh, to front. Yeah, yeah. I again, I've never thought of that that topic before. So it, I, I mean, I guess logically that that would uh, that would make some sense um, because I do agree with. I do get tired of seeing people lose their homes or or choose between paying taxes versus uh, buying groceries, especially the elderly when they're, they've lived there for, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, the home's been paid off for decades, but they could still lose it. I do find the, uh, a level, there is a lot of injustice in that. Yep. So. Yeah, there is. And, and it's contrary to the American dream. And it's mm-hmm. actually, a, you know, when the state can take your property just simply because you can't pay them, yeah, there's just something, yeah, you know, fundamentally wrong about that. Sure. See, this is why I have people like you on the show, man. I learned things like, like, uh, <laughs> I, I would have never thought that <laughs> into that kind of level. So I, I'm curious, Ammon, there's been like some controversial things in your background, uh, with being in the news and, and some headlines and, and stuff. 
How do you feel like you've been misinterpreted or if, if there's been some like misconstruing of what your either beliefs or, or stances have been? Does that make sense how I asked that? Yeah. So I, I have had many, many people tell me after they've met me and talked to me like that you're 180 degree different than what the media has portrayed you as. And I say, I am. Uh, and you know, then they start asking and trying to figure out why would the media say and do those things. And because what I am proposing as policy and as my principles and so forth is so contrary to theirs, to the mainstream media, to kind of the, if you will, the establishment, you know, those in power. It's so contrary to theirs that they try to demonize me in the media. Mm -hmm. And it's been something that I've dealt with for many, many uh, years now. And, uh, and so, you know, Google my name. You, you'll have fun with that. I have fun with it. I, I say, who is this guy? I always, well, I, I, do. I, always, I always, you know, I always tease my kids. I go, is this your dad? And they're like, well, I don't know. That's your picture, you know, and is your dad a militant anti-government, you know, and I have fun with that. Is he a criminal? Uh, yeah. Is your dad a criminal? You know, just for fun. And uh, uh, so, I mean, that's a journey people have to go on if they want to and find out the truth. Sure. Sure. I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody that listens to this show would be super surprised to learn that the media uh, misrepresented either you or your beliefs or or facts of what 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 has happened and and I'll be honest with you I I'm somewhat ignorant to a lot of that uh, you know I, I I've mentioned I, I was going to get you on the show and and I feel like there's people that know a lot more about you and your background than than I do um but I mean it, it'd be hard to live in the Western U S and not uh, you know never heard the name Ammon Bundy right um and so. That's I, I, I'm glad you clarified that because I, I believe that the media, especially the national media, they, you know, we all know they have an agenda. And so they're going to yeah. they're going to spin things the way they want them. Um, yeah, and exactly. and obviously, as I told you before, before we set all this up, you, you know, the, this show as a platform, we don't we don't endorse candidates one way or the other. The idea with 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 you coming on the show is what I was describing to you earlier. Um Candidates running for it, whether it's a state legislator or a congressman or senator or, uh, in your case, governor, um, it, it you guys have very few opportunities to have long form discussions that can get out to massive amounts of people, and so okay. and and this opportunity is is available for any Idaho uh, based, you know, somebody running for office in the state of Idaho. In fact, anywhere out west, um, this opportunity is available. If you're anything like me, you're always looking for ways to improve your elk hunting skills for September. And one of my favorite ways is the Elk Collective. It's an absolute game changer in self-education. This virtual elk hunting course has over 150 videos that cover everything from elk calling, strategy, tips, setup, gear, much, much more. There's a bunch of people involved, some of the best elk hunters in the woods are involved with the Elk Collective and they've come together to put together this virtual course to help you notch more tags in September. So check it out at theelkcollective.com 
and use promo code, all one word, the Western Huntsman, for 20 bucks off the entire course. That makes the course only $69. It's a great deal, and I promise if you go through this course, you will go into the Elkwoods with a lot more confidence and a much better chance at notching a tag on the Mighty Wapen. Hoffman Boots is the boot choice of the Western Huntsman podcast, and it has been for a very long time. I love my Hoffman in the Explorers, in the 6-inch or the 8-inch. Uh, they have all sorts of options for you to check out. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot because I am a firm believer that when it comes to gear, the one piece of gear you don't want to skip on is boots get really good boots and if you choose to do some hoffman boots you're going to find out why i highly recommend these hunting boots made by a multi-generational family of shoemakers these boots are made right here in north idaho and i've got an excellent deal for you if you choose to go with hoffman boots use promo code all caps lock huntsman 10 for 10 percent off get you some of these boots and find out why i love them uh, they're totally waterproof. They're going to give you great traction on the mountain. They're super comfortable. There's very little break-in period. Can't recommend hopping boots enough. Check it out, guys. Next on the list is Scree Gear. High-octane hunting attire without breaking the bank. You want to go into the field with good camo, right? You want you want camo that works, that'll keep you dry, that'll keep you comfortable. You want layering systems, the merino wool, the rain gear, all the things that make hunting a little bit easier and allows you to stay in the field a lot longer. The problem with most of it is it's super expensive, not with Scree Gear. Scree Gear will give you all the high-end technical gear that you want without having to take out a second mortgage, and that's why I like it. And to make it even better, got a promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word, and that will give you 15% off and free shipping. It's a heck of a deal, guys. I recommend checking out like their bundle packages. They have like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle. All those bundles come with multiple pieces of gear, and you won't regret getting this gear. It's great stuff. Check out Scree at ScreeGear.com. Oh, and you want to call in an elk? Use Phelps Game Calls. I've been using Phelps Game Calls since uh, just about the beginning of Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company story, too. This company started in a little garage and is now one of the premier call companies on uh, within the industry. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with Phelps Game Calls, whether it's turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl, or especially I think the bread and butter is the elk calls. And I, I use the Maverick. I use the Pink. I use the Gray Amp. Uh, check out the AMP series. If you're new to calling, I recommend getting a couple of different ones and trying them out. Find out which one works best for you. But uh, I promise you I'm not steering you wrong when it comes to Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company full of great people that make excellent products that actually work. And the proof is in the pudding. Call in a lot of elk, and you will too if you trust me, by going to phelpsgamecalls.com. I got Obviously, I got a promo code for you, right? Huntsman 10. Huntsman 10 for 10% off your Phelps Game Calls and check them out. Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Two last items. Check out the Reveal Cell Cams from Tacticam. Whether it is for hunting or security, these are excellent cell cams that I have all over my property. To include, I, uh, I put them on some job sites for some security so people I know if, uh, if they're still in materials or whatever, I'm going to catch them. Uh, and another little promo code I like to throw out there is for Batum907 for anybody that is hunting bears spring or fall and you are allowed to bait. Don't forget to go to Batum907.com. Since made in Alaska, use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. The stuff works, and it works well. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. 
I had a really good point as to where I was going with this, Ammon, and now I kind of lost track. But I do want what what would you say? Um, what would you say really separates you in terms of like a differentiator uh, between your you and your opponents? Um, I think that uh, the proper use of government probably really separates me the most. Um, what do you mean by I, that? I, well, I I believe I'm. I uh, I guess more of a constitutionalist. I'm more of a uh, original intent. When you go and read like uh, documents like the Declaration of Independence, I think it lays it out very clearly. It says, you know, that man was created by God. He was created equal, uh, and he was given certain rights. Uh, among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it goes on and say that. To secure these rights, governments was instituted among men uh, mm-hmm. and by by men. And so that lays it out that, you know, uh, who we are. And it lays it out that we have these rights and that man instituted government to secure the rights that God gave us. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of government and the reason they did that is to secure those rights. So the purpose of government is to secure rights. It's not to give somebody welfare it's not to give a, a a big corporation an advantage over another corporation it's not to get it's not uh, so that we can uh run to them uh when we you know when we can't pay our our own bills that's not what government is for government is for uh the purpose of securing the rights equal among all of us so that we can go out and work and be able to put money in our pocket and keep it so that we can have homes and property and and know that somebody else is that's not that's just powerful more powerful than us won't just take it um so that we have a place to go and when we have a problem that where something is off that we can go to the courts and try to work them out uh, civilly that's what government is for to secure those rights Mm -hmm. but what what we have seen happen, especially in recent days, is governments being used to uh, to give uh, their buddies uh, an advantage over over the other people, over the other uh, businesses, or or to push a certain uh, ideology uh, and to use the government to to force that, uh, or to redistribute wealth that's created by people and then government takes it and then distributes it to other people that they think should have. And I completely disagree with that. I, and that makes, that sets me apart from those who I am running against. So kind of, kind of your, your philosophy is a little bit less or or more um, anti-establishment, anti-establishment. It's a tongue twister, apparently (laughs) (laughs) anti-establishment more so than like anti-government because that's, that's how you're portrayed often uh is is anti-government or whatever uh but it's more like an anti-establishment that you you kind of want to shake up the uh the political system of of the good old boy club that that uh, gives each other handouts and and gets votes by buying them through uh, you know institutions such as welfare is that would that be accurate yeah i i think that's actually well said in fact i might I might steal that from you that I'm anti-establishment, not anti-government, because I think that's hey. absolutely that's absolutely correct. You should make that into a T-shirt, and uh, I'll, I get ten percent of the proceeds. 
<laughs> just send me your bank account <laughs> we're making wait i don't wait a minute am i don't give any politicians my bank account all right <laughs> well i'm not i'm just running for politics i'm not one yet, yeah you're not you're not a, you're not officially there yet i get it I that's get right, it. right. <laughs> no so you that's... can trust me for a couple more months right <laughs> you know i i that actually that's a that's a great kind of segue into uh one of the things again this is why i like having um, somebody in your position on the show because this allows us to really get an idea of who who you are, who, what your personality is in a long form conversation. Because we're just two sure. we're just two Idahoans having a conversation. That's right. um, and and it, this does segue into one of the things uh, I I've heard nothing from you that that makes me think that you wouldn't make a good governor. But I've I've read something on your website where I I have some apprehension. And uh, okay. I want to I, I think you and I should just have have a debate about it um, and a discussion to see kind of I, I want to see where you stand philosophically and kind of where it comes from and, and see if we can we can come to like a consensus, if that makes sense. Does that sound fair? Absolutely. Yeah, I sure hope so. Um, public land. Public land is uh, when I say public land, I mean federally managed public land, not state owned okay. land, because right. there there's 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 way different outcomes of who owns what. Right. And right. I, I know that this has been a, a big topic for you uh, in the past. And, and I, I kind of, I think I have a, a basic understanding of what you believe about it. Um, and can I, would you mind if I described how I feel about it and then we can kind of go from there? Yeah. As long. Yeah. I want to know uh, as long as you don't assume that you think, you know what what i believe because i would i want that to be fresh you know but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to hear what you what you what you think no that's totally fair because i, I want to hear I, I, you're the you're the one that has the that belief so uh, i don't i don't know what you believe and so we'll we'll hear it from both sides i mean my my and my philosophy is super simple when when we're looking at all the issues out there whether we're facing them as a country or a state or a county or a municipality, it doesn't matter. We're dealing with things like inflation. We've got corruption on local and federal levels. We've got a border crisis. We've got gas prices absolutely destroying people. We've got this liberal wokeness coming into our culture and just eating away at the foundational uh, philosophies of, of what it means to be an American. We've got energy issues, infrastructure, rising housing costs, uh, or I'm sorry, costs, um, you know, regulatory, absolute. Well, I'm trying to watch my mouth. I'm, I'm going to use clean language. <laughs> Business regulations out of hand. We've got pandemics, failing education, criminal justice imbalances, you know, all these things. Fentanyl coming across our borders, drug problems. The, I guess I'm saying all this is the one thing that I believe from, from my standpoint that the federal government actually does a good job at, and you won't hear me say this very often, is they do a good job at m managing our public land. When I say public land, I'm specifically speaking about the United States Forest Service mostly and because that's what I spend a lot of time on. And I'm a firm believer in our public land system, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that everybody has the right and the freedom to enjoy these lands because they're, they're your lands, they're my lands, they're everybody's lands. And, and it's, it's a big part of my show. How, 
how do you feel about them? What is your philosophy or your take on, on federal management on public land systems? Well, let's just talk about the, uh, I guess we could talk about the management because it, you know, on a constitutional basis, there is no authority whatsoever for the uh, federal government to be controlling mass amounts of land inside a state. Uh, so, but let's, let's just set that aside and let's, talk about what really is happening. Um, uh, again, these federal land agencies, including the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Park Service, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they are now becoming completely infiltrated with these uh, extreme environmentalists. And their agenda and I saw this. No, no one can dispute this. They destroyed the entire ranching industry in Nevada, in the area that I grew up in. Um, and, and they did it by getting control of the Bureau of Land Management. So they got in there. They, you know, got in control of the ranks. And then they began using uh, the federal government uh, to destroy mining, destroy ranching, destroy logging. And that's happening here in Idaho too. So we talk about the management. Uh, what's happening to our forests right now? They're becoming densely thick or they start to burn. There's a bumper sticker that says, log it, graze it, or watch it burn. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've run across um, what it looks like after a densely forest uh, area has burnt and how devastating it is to the area, how devastating it is to the wildlife. And that's because they, they are implementing and are pushing and are continuing to implement this more and more across the Western United States is they're implementing a no use policy. And, uh, and when you have you and I have a dispute with that, saying, "Look, we don't think that you should stop the use of hunting in this area, or stop the use of of grazing, or logging in this area," uh, we don't have much of a voice because it's become a federal issue, right? We can make a complaint, we can participate in some in meetings, and they can decide whether they want to listen to us or not. We don't have a voice and it's not the way that it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the local people of, of that area that are the ones that get to make the decisions according to the land and the area and the, that jurisdiction. So on its face, you know, that's a little bit of my response. Uh, who's so, the primary closer of roads? The federal government. Who's the client primary closer of areas for hunting? Uh, the federal government, who who's stopping ranching, mining, logging, and all of that in these areas? The federal government. I think I, I think that w one thing I would push back on with, um, well, actually before before I say that, like if if you're are you saying that if we were to free these bureauc bureaucracies, I'm having a hard time pronouncing words that are usually pretty easy for me. Um, if we were to free these bureaucracies from environmentalists, would 
federal management of public lands be something that you could get on board with? Or is that something that you, because you you'd mentioned something constitutionally, which which I would push back on that as well. And that's, you know, that's part of why we have these discussions so we can we can talk about this stuff. Um, but is if, if we were able to strip the environmentalists out of any kind of control positions within these bureaucracies, is is federal management something that you would be in support of or, or against still? Well, one is you can't separate the two. You can't. I, I, uh, I know. I'm I'm I'm, but, I'm talking totally theoretically. I, I am well aware. I because I, I agree. Uh, I, I agree that they're the 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 extremist environmentalists are are decaying these agencies, and and they're creating more problems than they're solving. And uh, and I don't even think that they have the um you know uh, what what one could consider. They're they're not looking to have a positive impact at this point. It's beyond that. It's 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 turned into this extremist thing, where it's almost like they know they're being detrimental and they don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm. They do. That's exactly correct. They, yeah. they know they are. That's because their idea of what should be used, the, what the land and resources should be used for, is completely contrary to pro, to 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 your and I uh, as ideas. So uh, I guess I mean touching on the constitutionality of it. The 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 only thing I would say to that is, I I feel like the precedent has been set since the 1800s. On on who 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 has the authority to determine what a law means, and that's the Supreme Court, and that's through the Constitution. So it's constitutionally viable to have federal management over over these public lands, in in my opinion. My the the other side to that is if like what is your solution? What what is your idea? Because we do have these environmentalists taking over some of these agencies, and it, it is creating problems. I don't disagree with you on that. But how would you have it be were it not? I mean, obviously, public lands is not something the governor is usually going to dip his toes in and deal with anyways. But if, if you were like King, let's say, and, and you could change the public land system, what would be ideal in your mind? Okay, so those are two really big questions. They are. And <laughs> I'd like to tackle them one at a time. Okay. The first one you talked about the constitutionality of federal land control, mm-hmm. and uh, I can you know hear and appreciate uh, your position, but I can tell you um, that it's not correct legally. It's not correct. How because so? This well because you are. Uh, you know, under the assumption that the federal land control of, uh, has gone to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has ruled that that is that is the fact that has not been ruled upon. Okay. Um, and so and so that, you know, let's get that right out out front. What has been ruled upon and where where the federal government wants people to believe that they have won is. What in Article Four, Section Three, Clause Two, it says that uh, all territories and other properties uh, basically are uh, that Congress has authority to uh, control all territories and other properties of the United States. That's pretty close to how it said. I don't have Constitution in front of me, but um, uh, I, and so I can actually 
Let's see. Yeah, article the Congress clause two, property clause. The Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States. That's correct. So that issue has been taken to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that Congress has authority to control territories and other properties of the United States. However, what has never gone to the Supreme Court is what is other properties of the United States. Now, if you look at the, your Constitution, you'll see that territory, if it's original, uh, you know, copy, or at least a, is that the capital T? And that would be uh, a territory, a territorial government that's pre-statehood. Okay, so. But nowhere ever in the Constitution or any of the Federalist Papers or any of did they de declare states land after the state has been enabled as other property of the United States. And I do not believe, and there's tons of evidence to say that there that these this 432 does not include lands inside an enabled state. And history does not include that land inside an enabled state in the union is other properties of the United States. And the way that the federal government took this land, got control of this land in the Western United States also proves that it is not other properties of the United States. And so that is, that, but, that but how would, how would you never... define, how would you define that property? Because I, I mean, any property that is under the jurisdiction of the United States, whether it's a state, county, or an actual territory, that is American territory. That's that's how that's how that's defined. And See, so now I, you're I'm, show no no territory capital T. You understand that Idaho was a territory before it became a state, right? Yep, absolutely. And and that was a capital T territory. And territories were under the jurisdiction of Congress. But mm -hmm. as soon as they become a state, then no longer are they under the jurisdiction and authority of Congress. It, it changes. Now you become, everything changes at that point. Now you become an independent state and you're part of the union uh, with the full rights afforded by the, the, the United States Constitution as a state. And everything changes at that point. This is uh, we're United States. We're states that are united. And what unites us? The Constitution. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, you weren't a state. You were a territory. And therefore, you were under the jurisdiction and control of Congress, U.S. Congress. And that is, I mean, that's that's well-established law. That's, there's no, like, sure. there's no, like, even arguing that point. So the only argument that people would have is, well, what does other properties mean? Well, in other properties also has definitions and it never was property inside a, a state that was enabled into the union, the United States. And that's what I'm saying. And so the argument that needs to be taken to the Supreme Court and needs to be taken by the state, which is one of the things I intend to do, is for the Supreme Court to define what other properties are. and. We are certain that they will not, uh, that, that these lands cannot be categorized as other properties. So do you, 
what where would you who would own those lands? I, I guess is the question. Are you is the goal to have the states own those lands? So the state would own it, but we but I would push for the uh, counties to administer it. And there would be certain uh, there would be certain legislation legislation and statutes that would make it so the county can't sell it, make it so that the right to hunt fish and all of that are protected on it and access is protected on it. Uh, but that also other rights such as grazing, logging and so forth can be used and managed upon those lands as well as multiple use. Uh, but rightfully so it should be the county administering those lands under the guidance of the legislature. But that would, that would state, take the state legislature. That would take it. So you would have to change the actual Idaho state constitution because the, the constitution of the state of Idaho specifically says that state owned land has to produce revenue for things like school districts and ambulance, you know, emergency response kind of institutions. And, and the only way they could really generate revenue off of those is by selling them to, to people like the Wilkes brothers. And, and, and that's where I get worried. I mean, is like, that, I look at that. So that's incorrect. You're incorrect. I'm going to call you on that. On on the, the constitutional the, clause. The constitution. The constitution does not say that. It does protect the right uh, to to hunt and and the right to for trapping, and it does protect that right. And we need to protect that right. Um, but that that's that's not that's not fully accurate. What you're saying. There are some, some statutorial things when it comes to state land. Uh, but those are statutorial. Those, those can be adjusted and changed by the legislature. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of this should be done by the legislature. Uh, and I intend to use and help the legislature to, you know, to go down this path. But and that way we protect we were going to protect the, the right to hunt, the right to fish camp and also protect it from being sold to, you know, sold to anybody. Um be yeah, be, because that's that's where that's where I have a super hard time with this, and and I, I appreciate your insight on this. I, I'm trying to find um, I my of course my internet's not working great. It's probably because we're Zoom recording right now, but I'll I'll track that down because it, it it was very specific about the the necessity and the requirement for that land to generate and and that like so so what I I guess I look at in in but something like so, that but not to be sold and it's it's statutory. But not to be sold. Uh, so, but how would it give, how would it generate revenue without being sold? Well, you can lease grazing on it. You can lease the, the land. You can um, uh, there. So you you understand that every tenth parcel of Idaho is uh, state land, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, and and most of those lands are not sold. And the reason why they did it, they did that to fund mostly education from public schools. And they made every 10th parcel uh, a state land. And that way they can lease it to ranchers. They can lease it to, um, to you know, and, and generate, they could uh, sell the mineral rights on it. Uh, they can, uh, they can lease it to uh, hunting outfits. They can do whatever they, whatever they, uh, want to, uh, they can do to it to generate revenue. I mean, so, that's how oh, we generate that, revenue. Okay, that's 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 a perfect point, actually. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because 
the the way that you describe that, um, man, I I like having somebody that challenges me like this, Ammon. This is this is good stuff. Um, the way that you describe that, what comes to mind instantly is like Texas, and and in Texas, there's there's only 1.777 percent of publicly accessible land. The rest of it, if so, for the for the common blue collar guy that wants to go hunt deer. He he can't just go up into the into the hills and hunt, right? He's got to he's got to buy a lease, or he's got to know somebody with with land, or he's got to become you know win the lottery and buy his own land, or he's got to buy an out of state uh, over the counter tag somewhere like Colorado or Idaho, and and I don't ever want to be in the prediction or predicament of where we are like like my friends in Texas are, uh, and and I also don't ever want to have to ask the king to access his land to hunt on the king's land and shoot the king's deer and, and because that's what it's like in Europe and and in Idaho and and the rest of the American West we have this beautiful system where we can get tags for 30 bucks at Walmart drive an hour from town and and be on our land yes it is managed by the federal government but it's 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 our land and we can access it whenever we want and and I think that people like me get nervous about that changing and, and promises being made that, you know, well, maybe the state should should own it. Um, and and we, we never have the conversation of, well, you know, as it is right now, you know, the state, like, what was it? The, the, the state of Idaho just got a big chunk of money for PILT money. Um, and, and we would lose that. And, and that is one way that this land is generating revenue currently. And I don't think it's 38, no, $35.8 million dollars of PILT money just to the state of Idaho for our federally managed lands, uh, we would lose that. And I don't think like uh, the Wilkes brothers from Texas coming in here and buying up that land is going to make up for that annual revenue that is lost because then it's switching that process of what we were just talking about. Like when you buy your property and you're, you're only going to pay uh, once when you first buy it, which I love that idea. But uh, I, I, I have a, well, I, I, I won't get on board with state-owned land. It's like a deal breaker for me, and so I'm trying so, to. Um, let me let me respond because you've been going on. I haven't interrupted you. Sorry. Because that's not a on, that's not a that's not an accurate comparison. You're comparing you're comparing uh, private property uh, to what I am proposing, and that is not an accurate uh, comparison. So, all, so, cor- so are, are you talking about the, the Texas comparison or the, the European comparison? Uh, both. They're both inaccurate. Uh, because right now, what happens when the federal government, and they will do that, uh, I, need to, I need to emphasize on your Texas comparison, but what happens when it comes to your European comparison? Uh, what happens? Who's the king? It's, the, it's, their, it's their federal government. That mm-hmm. that's who claims all the land. That's what will happen here. Is your your European comparison is exactly right. That's what will happen here. What happens when the federal government says, "Well, we don't care if the state administrates the land, the the wildlife. It's our property, and you're not going to hunt there." What happens when they when they do that? Then then is it time now to get the land back into the to the right rightful hands of I, the people I, I of guess, Idaho. I guess my answer to that, Ammon, is is it's never happened from the federal government where it has happened from the state. Are and you, I, I'm in the crazy you, predicament of of defending the federal government. I don't want you to mis have misconstrue you, have me. Have you ever heard have you ever heard of 
wildlife areas, ACECs. Uh, I mean, all. Of oh, these sure. Are, I yes, I, I agree. I, and so I to say I, that I, I would agree with that point. It's just not just not accurate. They're doing it all the time. And these these national monuments, they're expanding this, expanding the, the limitation of hunting and hiking and fishing and camping. There's even areas where they won't let you walk on it. Yeah, and I know. this is expanding, and it's an environmentalist movement, and it's coming from the federal government. And there's no way to stop it unless we get these lands into our hands, where the local people get to make the decisions. Now, so that's one part. Then the the other part is your analogy with the Texas. You know, and just so you know, I'm I'm wanting to convince you that there's a better way. Right. Yeah. So no. And, and I'm, I, I, I am. And I, I, no way. I want you to know I, I am open to listening. I, I, I totally I don't want you to think that, you know, we're we're in some big right. argument here. We're, we're just right. having a That's, discussion. So, yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I feel like I feel like I, I'm never going to convince you of my philosophy and you're never going to convince me of mine. But if we're if we're having this discussion, there's going to the, the benefit is to the listeners so that they can make their yeah. decision. Right. So. Well, and I I don't think. You know, we're like we said in the in the beginning, like, I don't think we're way apart from each other. Right. I I, I think we might have different opinions about like the way it should be. But yeah, you, I agree. What I mean, what I mean by that is you want to be able to use and benefit from the land and the wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to use and benefit from the land and the wildlife. And I want to make sure that for generations we're able to use and benefit from the land and the natural resources and the wildlife. And so you're saying that the best way to do that is keep it in the the federal hands. And I'm saying that's absolutely not true. It's dangerous. We've got to get it out of their hands. They're completely controlled by environmentalists and their agenda will put us into where we can't use our land. We can't hunt and fish and hike. We can't benefit from the natural resources. And our children won't be able to do it. and Our children's children won't. And that's what I'm saying. And I believe that because I live that. My family lived that. Mm-hmm. And I have and I've seen thousands of other people uh, that have also uh, lived that. And then I see what's happening to Idaho. And I'm just like, we have to fight this battle and get this and make sure that the state, you know, Laws are set forth correctly that we because so, I have no intention of wanting to take these 33 million acres of federally controlled land in Idaho and turn it all into private property. And See, then that, la- allow there there. you. That's exactly what I was concerned about, because that's what I've been told. And so that's what I want you to clarify. You're you, you just made a great point. Because when I hear some, here's, here's what happens, Sam. And when, when you're in like my position, I've got a, I've got a hunting podcast. We advocate for public land access. We, we advocate for hunting rights. This is what we do. So when I hear somebody talking about how the state's going to take over the land and I'm aware of what the state currently does with its own land, uh, and, and how that is used to generate profits for school districts and, and EMS and things of that nature, I get concerned that your goal is to take that federally managed land that we currently enjoy now, you know, all of us blue collar hunters that don't have millions of dollars to buy our own hunting property, but hunting is our life, man. I mean, hunting is sure. our, this isn't like, we're not collecting bottle caps here, that hunting right. is what we do. And so when, when I hear somebody say that, I instantly think, okay, so the Wilkes brothers 
are going to take over my hunting spot and put a gate on the road. And my days of elk hunting uh, in the backcountry uh, during September are over. That that's what I think of, and I think that's what a lot of people think about. Um, what what is your response? So, one is nobody is selling more land or doing land trades by training public lands into private. Nobody's doing that more than the federal government in Idaho. Just let's get that clear. They are doing that. They're doing land transfers all the time. And yeah, you might say, oh, well, it's a land transfer. Yeah, they, they, they transfer some beautiful area that has tons of wildlife because somebody, some of their buddies want it for something that is out in the middle of, you know, of the, of the sagebrush, which I know sometimes can be good hunting too, but they, they transfer that land all the time and they also sell it. So there is that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, you know, established fact that that's, that that's what they're doing. They're also closing roads, uh, constantly and closing access constantly. So it's not like what we have now is, you know, this really great thing. But what I'm proposing is I'm proposing that we take and reestablish these public lands for multiple use. And you might say, well, that's scary. Well, is it really that scary? Because what, what, who, what roads do the hunters use? I mean, you know this. What roads do you use? Who made those roads? Forest Service or whoever uh, logging it. Um, Wrong. It, 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 it was depends. Not the Forest Service. Well, it depends on it depends on what part of the state you're in. Most of my roads yeah, are made by is, logging. They made by logging. That's correct. Yep. So the loggers were logging it. They were in there, and they should log it responsibly. But they make roads. They create access, and right along with that, people were hunting. They were camping, hiking, enjoying that. And the loggers were logging, and you wave hi to them when you go by them. And we all we can all work together. It's called multiple use. Ranchers were ranching, uh, and they were they had water tanks and bringing wildlife in. People were hunting around the water tanks, improving, you know, the uh, the hunting and the wildlife uh, population. And uh, and everybody's fine with it. the ranchers fine with it. The hunters think it's great. The ranchers think it's fine. Sometimes they don't like it because. Uh, a hunter will decide, or someone, not really a hunter, because I, I think true hunters wouldn't do this, but someone decides that they want to put a hole in the a water tank. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, but, but what I'm saying is, is that we have this multiple use balance that worked for the first, you know, hundred years of, of most of our states. And that's what I believe that these lands should go back to and administered by the, the by the local people, protected by the state, administered by the local people so that we protect all of and so that we're using our forests. So they're being grazed so they don't you know, burn up uh, so that we're also producing uh, uh, wealth and income. But they have to be multiple use. They have to be always available to protect the rights of the hunter, the fisher the hiker, uh, the camper, uh, they have to be, and, and it's called multiple use and it works. It works in the West because yeah. the West is so arid. It works in the West. It's interesting how, how perceptions can be, um, so, so different when we're on this, you know, you and I were, I, I think that we're like on the same page on a lot of things. 
but we have we have like these these perceptions that that vary pretty widely like like you had just mentioned um that that what we have now is not that great and i would totally disagree with that i i, I absolutely because in my in my neck of the woods and, and maybe it's different down like near emmett uh where you're out of but i mean where where i'm at i cross the highway i'm in one of the biggest national forests in the country it's filled with elk it's filled with bears it's filled with wolves uh it's filled with uh deer uh, there's logging operations going on. There's um, people go in there and they're camping, they're hunting, they're fishing, they're harvesting mushrooms and huckleberries and all these things that are, that are taking place that is multi-use. And, and that's the that's the goal. And we agree on that. They, this land is supposed to be for multi-use. I, I'm not saying it's just for hunters. What I'm saying is the the threat of of some oil tycoon coming in and buying this land and making it inaccessible to both scientists trying to manage wildlife and hunters like you and I trying to access it or ranchers that want to graze their cattle uh, or logging uh, operations that that need to get the get the um, that timber out of there for for forest management um, you, you know that's that's where it would become a problem and and that's where it would become detrimental so I. I think that it's it's good that we talked on this topic because I I was and I think that there's a lot of people that listen to this show that were under the impression that your thought was you wanted to like have these public auctions on uh, federally managed lands to to generate revenue for the state kind of thing and and that's what happens when we have a media that doesn't um, report or or is not honest about what they're talking about um, or or what the facts are on the ground right. Uh, I mean, we all know that media bias. Well, um, but I, I, go ahead. You know, I, you know, to compare to that statement and needing to bring this up, I have proposed that around some of these towns, uh, rather than building on our agricultural land or becoming densely populated states, that around some of these towns, we need to be able to spread out a little bit. And I mm -hmm. have expressed that, but I've been very, very explicit that it is around these towns and these cities. But that the that the 33 million acres, because we got 33, just shy of 33 million acres of federally controlled land, that the bulk of it, the majority by far, like 32 million acres of it needs to be preserved. And the mm -hmm. reason for that is, as you talked about, because um, there's there's several things going on because of the federal land control. Um, one is Idaho can't pay its own bills. And uh, so that's that's an issue. We have to go to the federal government. Uh, two, we have a uh, affordable housing crisis because we're, we're landlocked. Yeah. Uh, three, three, um, we're building our houses on our agricultural land, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's you know we're destroying our one number one industry, industry like I like I mentioned. And and then uh, I agree. Um, yeah. And I mean, because we're landlocked, uh, yep. you know, and we're building on land that we can never get back from agriculture when right around these towns. And I'm, I'm looking at it right here in Emmett, right? Like literally we could build a house, build a house or housing development right around on the edge of these towns, never uh, threaten any type of hunting or fishing or hiking or anything, but then also preserve our agricultural land and make it so that housing for the next generation is affordable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, to be fair to at least to the statement that I, that I want to use some of these lands uh, for around the towns for development. 
I think that, you know, that is a fair statement, but it's absolutely 100% inaccurate if if anybody is saying that I want to take, you know, our forests and our hunting and our, uh, you know, hiking and all this land that we have and turn it into private property. That's just absolutely inaccurate. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm glad you clarified that because again, I think that a lot of people were under that impression and, and I, I know I'm keeping you past past an hour here Ammon. we'll uh we'll kind of wrap this up I, I i guess what it boils down to from my end is i i the one of the biggest reasons i started this show uh is is because i'm i'm passionate about the the very unique thing that we that we enjoy in the united states which is the freedom to go into these lands and pursue our passions and that's a very u- unique thing uh, right here in the United States and Canada, it all ties into the model of uh, wildlife conservation, uh, the North American model of wildlife conservation, and it is it protects you know things against like uh, some of the institutions in Texas, like w- where it almost becomes this market hunting thing and and a thing that only rich people can enjoy. Um, and so that's where I get protected. The blue collar guy, the guy that's out there banging a hammer uh, that that doesn't have the money to buy thousands of acres to hunt elk on. Um, and, and that's, that's who I, I'm, I'm trying to look out for. And I, I feel like you've clarified that. I have, I have one question for you though. Yeah. And go it for might, it. it might, it might change your listeners, uh, thoughts, um, one way or the other. And, uh, I might have to emphasize, but you know, the answer to this, I'm just going to, it's a rhetorical question just to make a point. Who owns the wildlife in Idaho? Well, the, the Idaho, well, and this is the same with any state, um, the state owns the wildlife and it's managed for the citizen. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the same thing that the idea between both are a balanced system. We all own the okay. wildlife. Okay. So, and your whole argument has been that the state, you love hunting and you love what the, what the, you know, having access to the wildlife and having access to all these things. And yet you're making my point. The state manages that. So the and and I that's a fair point, Ammon. I'm not I'm not arguing with that. But the idea behind where what we have now is you and I own that land, that federal land. You and I own it, not the federal. Not, there's not somebody sitting in Washington D.C. that has the title. We own it okay, as citizens. So, we own it as citizens. Well, it's managed for the people, just like the wildlife. Nobody owns. Nobody has a title to them. This like like in England. Okay, um, so who administers who administers the wildlife? Who the, manages the, the state wildlife? Agencies, in Idaho? Idaho Fish and Game. Yeah, Idaho Fish and Game. Okay, so why can't they manage the land? Or why why can't the state manage the land? Like I, you're saying, I think you're saying they're doing such a great you're saying they're doing such a great job at managing the the wildlife. Mm-hmm. Which you know Idaho uh, does, man. Ge- there's gen- people that'll disagree general, with me. <laughs> Well, there are some, but I mean, yeah, yeah. it's still accessible and so on and so forth. But yeah, somehow you're saying that we can't manage our own lands. Yeah. I, I and, and I mean, at, at that point, we're getting into, you know, obviously, I, I, Idaho Fish and Game, they've done a really good job at following the North American model of wildlife conservation and utilizing hunting, hunting as a management tool. So every state agency is not equal. Like my friends over in, in Washington, they, they wouldn't agree with their state agency like I do with my state agency. So that's all yeah, super that, state and that's dependent. Because, that's because their state agencies have been completely infiltrated with these uh, extreme environmentalists. You wouldn't believe and it's it. Much, yeah, yeah. The Washington, and it's that, much easier to root 
bad eggs out of your government when it's local than when it's uh, uh, national. And that really is, I think, what comes down to my ultimate argument. If this land stays in the hands of the federal government, we will lose access to it. We will. And that I am certain of 100%. And I think that comes down to where, down to what you and I both do not want to happen. We want access to our lands. We want to be able to hunt, fish, hike. We want to use and benefit from the lands and the resources and the wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it is in danger under the federal government's control and mostly because we cannot correct it when this extreme environmentalism continues to go in full force. We cannot correct it. And yeah. so I'll just leave you with that. Well, um, before you do that, that was actually, that, that was a good conversation, Ammon. I appreciate all that. Uh, it was robust. That's what I like. I like, I like getting yes. the, the blood pumping, right? Um, Absolutely. I, I want to give you the opportunity to spend like one or two minutes just making your case to the Idaho voter um, why you feel like you're, you're the guy for the job in, the, in, uh, in Boise and uh, okay. kind of g- give, uh, give us your campaign speech or I, I don't know, what do you call that in politics? I, I don't even know what you call that. <laughs> Elevator pitch? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Something that you tune out. Something you tune out, right? <laughs> Usually, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd, lo- I'd oh, love to hear awesome. it, though. Well, I'll, I think I'll just go through the eight planks of my Keep Idaho, Idaho plan, and you can draw conclusions and learn a little more from there. Um, okay. And just because it's easy to communicate, won't take too much time, and I think it'll cover mostly of what what I'm about, what I'm what I'm doing. So number one is to protect private property. Um, number two is eliminate progressive taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is to free Idaho from federal control. Number four is to make Idaho independent again, where we can pay our own bills and be able to act more independently as a state. Number five, uh, bring back the rule of law. There's a lot to that. Number six, make Idaho an economic powerhouse. We have the ability to do that, uh, and we can do that. Number seven, secure the quality of life for every Idahoan family. And number eight, make Idaho an example of peace and prosperity for the rest of the world. I think we can lead in that. I believe that we have the people and the ideals here in Idaho that uh, and enough people kind of united in that, that, that we can do things in the state of Idaho that other states couldn't and that we should lead in that, th- those ways. So I like those that. are pretty general. Those are pretty general, but I think you can get a, a picture of what I'm about. And, uh, man, I really appreciate the, the opportunity and the conversation we've had. No, it's great. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, taking some time to, to argue with a, with a hillbilly like me and, and, uh, <laughs> it's good getting to know you. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really do appreciate it. I think that was a, that was a really good conversation. Voters are going to get a lot out of it. And, um, I, I, I'm wishing you luck, my friend. I, I, if, uh, Oh, this is, I, I, I need to try to get your commitment while we're still recording though. Are you okay. ready for this? I'm ready. I'm if ready. You, if you win, can I come down to the governor's mansion and give you a Western Huntsman hat and interview you in the governor's mansion? <laughs> well, I don't think we have a governor's mansion anymore. 
I think they got rid of that. Did they? However, did they get rid of it? See, yeah. see, I'm out of the yeah. loop, man. Yeah, I think they did. I, I've, I've heard that, uh, but I will commit to the second half of that and Sweet. absolutely uh, give you, a, you know, interview and and talk and 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 I will also commit to something much greater than that. That is protecting the right and the enjoyment of the people of Idaho to hunt, to fish, to hike, to camp, and to access our public lands. Fantastic. I appreciate that sentiment for sure. Well, okay, sir. Uh, I Again, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you uh, extending past the, the hour we had slated for this. I hope I'm, I didn't get you in trouble with your campaign manager. Um, and, Luckily, uh, you're the last on my you're last on my agenda today. Uh, oh, perfect. So I, other than I, my son has a football uh, game that uh, we'll be going to here in a little bit. So it was just great. I think it was well time spent. Thank perfect. you. Perfect. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain